Support for Criminal comes from 1Password. If you're someone who's ever reused an old password, or you just hate creating and keeping track of new ones, then it might be time to try a password manager. 1Password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. All you have to do is remember one strong account password that protects everything else. Right now, our listeners get a free two-week trial for you and your family at onepassword.com criminal. That's the number one, password.com criminal for two free weeks. onepassword.com criminal. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. I was coming back from Alaska. I had spent a summer up in Alaska, and uh, when I was coming back, um, it was the middle of the night, and I was in Grand Junction and waiting for a bus to connect to take me further south. This was in October of 1989. Debbie Shum didn't want to be at the bus station all night, so she showed up at the house of an old friend. He wasn't there, but his girlfriend was. Her name was Laura Lee Johnson. I was kind of fumbling around trying to explain who I was. She asked me, do you need somewhere to sleep for the night? And invited me in. And that was basically exactly how the whole thing started right there. And we became very close friends pretty much immediately. We stayed up and talked, and, and that kind of became the theme of our friendship, that mostly we talked. Laura was an artist and would send pieces to Debbie. Debbie says Laura was incredibly funny. Neither of them got along with their families, so they often spent Thanksgiving and Christmas together. And then, in 2015, Laura told Debbie she'd been diagnosed with bladder cancer. They'd been friends for 25 years. As things progressed, her doctor wanted her to do chemotherapy and radiation, and she asked him, well, is it going to help? And they said no. And she said, well, then why would I do that? Her doctor suggested removing her bladder. Laura said absolutely not. She was not down with that. She did not like that idea at all. Laura was living alone. She was still in Grand Junction, Colorado. I would go up and help her, you know, do laundry, do some cleaning, um, you know, make some meals for her and put them in the refrigerator and the freezer so that she could easily get them and do some shopping for her. When Laura could no longer live on her own, they discussed hospice options. Laura didn't want to live in a facility. So Debbie said, come live with me. Hospice doctors and nurses would come to them. When I'm sick, I am cranky. But Laura was not. She was all please and thank you and very grateful for everything 
everything, every spoonful of soup that I gave her, uh, everything, every time I arranged the blankets. She was funny, too. Uh, the hospice doctor asked her, is there anything I can bring you? And she said, with a very straight face, um, that she wanted Brad Pitt to come and peel some grapes for her and fan her with peacock feathers. <laughs> and so we all decided that we would place an order for three of those. I sang to her. I told her stories. We talked about her grandmother. She was very close with her grandmother, who was also an artist. I made up stories about her and her grandmother walking through the forest holding hands. Her last words were to tell me that she loved me and that she appreciated me taking care of her. Then um, the time came where I was sitting in the room and I heard her breathing change and I went over to her bed and asked her, is it your time now? And she opened her eyes and looked me straight in the eye. She was unable to speak and I held her hands and I talked her and myself through it. Laura Johnson died on June 13th, 2017. Before she died, she told Debbie that she wanted to be cremated. She wanted her ashes to be mixed with glitter. Um, and I told her I would do that. What a pretty idea. The hospice company that had helped take care of Laura recommended a funeral home called Sunset Mesa in Montrose, Colorado. Debbie was the executor of Laura's estate, and so she was in charge of everything. The next morning, Debbie drove to Montrose, where she met with Megan Hess, the owner of Sunset Mesa Funeral Home. Megan Hess told Debbie that the cremation would cost $1,000. I got my credit card out, and she told me that she was unable to accept credit cards at the moment, that she was changing merchant service providers. I told her, well, you know, I don't, I, you know, I don't have my checkbook with me. And I certainly don't have that much cash on me. I could run to the bank. And she said, I need it now so I can finish. I need it right now so that I can finish this paperwork. I, I have to have that before I can finish the paperwork for the death certificate. That didn't make a lot of sense to me, but I also didn't really question it because I don't know how that works. At that point is when she brought up donation. And she said, well, you know, this would be a wonderful gift to science for cancer research. If you're willing to donate her bladder, which is uncompromised by uh, chemotherapy and radiation, you know, this would be a, just a wonderful gift to, for cancer research. And um, I told her, boy, I don't know about that. And she said, well, the cremation would be free if you're willing to do that. And I said, eh, you know what? I need to think about that for a minute. I mean, Laura, her doctor wanted to take her bladder out, and she was so opposed to that that she died instead. And then her phone rang. It was Laura's sister's ex-husband. 
Debbie told him it wasn't a good time. She was still at the funeral home. And he said, okay, well, I just needed to let you know that Laura's sister wants their family Bible and um, a couple of the paintings that the grandmother did, and I would like to have her van. And I said, whoa, stop. I know that you guys already have a copy of the will in which Laura's sister and brother are purposefully excluded. And I'm at the funeral home right now trying to make arrangements. And he said, I'm sorry, I couldn't be there to help. And I said, oh, but you can call me up and uh, with a list of stuff when you know that I don't even want to talk to you. And I hung up on him. At that moment, Megan Hess reached her hand across her desk, looked me straight in the eye, and put her hand over the top of mine and said, I am so sorry. It is just terrible when the greed starts immediately after somebody dies. And I really, I've just felt this overwhelming sense of appreciation for her at that moment for understanding what I was dealing with, with the family that wants stuff less than 12 hours after her death. And she understood and she was kind And that made me a lot more amenable to her suggestion. And so I agreed. Debbie signed paperwork allowing Sunset Mesa to donate Laura's bladder to cancer research and stating that the rest of Laura's body would be cremated as planned. Megan Hess told Debbie it shouldn't take more than a week to get Laura's ashes back. But then... A week passed, with no word from Megan Hess, and then another. Debbie called and couldn't reach anyone. Almost two months went by. Finally, Debbie says she showed up at Sunset Mesa demanding to speak to Megan Hess in person. She says Megan Hess apologized for the delay and explained that the funeral home had been incredibly busy, Debbie asked for Laura's ashes, and Megan Hess said she'd be right back. Debbie says she waited for about 15 minutes, and when Megan Hess returned, she handed Debbie a red and pink gift bag. Inside was a small container. Debbie says she was glad to take it home, to have Laura's ashes at home with her. She says she felt relieved that this part was finally over. But then, in July of 2018, she got a call from the FBI. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. We'll be right back. Thanks to 1Password for their support. It can be annoying to create so many new, unique passwords with arbitrary numbers, symbols, and letters every time we need one. And then once we've created one that works, we have to try to keep track of it and not reuse it anywhere else. And not choose anything that's easy to guess or remember. 1Password can take care of all of that for you. 1Password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need 
and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. It uses industry-leading security to bring private, secure, and user-friendly password management to everyone. With 1Password, you just need to remember one strong account password that protects everything else. It's a great way to keep things organized and private, so you'll no longer need to keep tabs on a bunch of long, convoluted passwords or reuse the same one ever again. Join the millions of users and over 100,000 businesses who trust 1Password's award-winning password manager. Right now, our listeners get a free two-week trial for you and your family at onepasswordcom criminal. That's the number one, password.com slash criminal for two free weeks. OnePassword.com slash criminal. Support for Criminal comes from Factor. After a long day at work, sometimes the most convenient dinner option is ordering takeout. But if you make a habit of it, it can get pricey. Factor offers restaurant-quality, ready-to-eat meals delivered right to your doorstep. Factor's meals are both nutritious and tasty, and you can choose from more than 35 different options weekly. They have a variety of meal types to fit your needs, too, like keto, calorie-smart, vegan, and veggie, and more, with plenty of delicious add-ons also. I've tried Factor meals myself. Lately, I've enjoyed their shredded chicken taco bowl and Thai-roasted vegetable green curry. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. You can also pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Head to factormeals.com slash Phoebe50 and use code Phoebe50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next box. That's code Phoebe50 at factormeals.com slash Phoebe50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. When the FBI called Debbie, she didn't recognize the number, so she didn't answer. They left a voicemail. And it was really kind of innocuous. It wasn't really that alarming. I mean, it was like, the FBI is calling, that's alarming, but it wasn't... As a matter of fact, she said, we don't have any information at this time that your loved one was a victim in this case, and I was... And I thought, a victim of what? What are they talking about? When she called them back, an FBI agent asked Debbie if they could meet. The agent asked Debbie to bring Laura's ashes. Two days later, Debbie found herself sitting in a small room with FBI special agent John Bush. And he asked me to tell him about my experience with Sunset Mesa. And when I got done with my story, he said, I regret to inform you that none of this happened the way you think it did. And I said, what are you talking about? The FBI agent told Debbie that not only had Laura's bladder not been donated, but that her whole body had been sold. And then I just, oh my God, it was so hard for me to try to, I couldn't even form questions. This is so different than any other kind of a crime. I mean, if the police came and they pounded on my door and told me that a robber had gone up and down the road and broke into everybody's garage and stole their toolbox, you know, I, I would be angry, but I would understand. I wouldn't say, what's a robber? What's a toolbox? I would understand what was being said. But this, I I did not comprehend. What are you talking about? The FBI agent told Debbie they'd been investigating Sunset Mesa for months. 
Elena Saavedra Buckley is an editor for High Country News. She was living in Gunnison, Colorado at the time and heard about what was going on at Sunset Mesa. The FBI had been um, talking to former employees of Sunset Mesa since October 2017. And they, they raided the business because they suspected that um, Megan Hess, who owned the business, was using her funeral home and the bodies that were coming in to be cremated um, and selling them through donor services, which was a nonprofit uh, donor business that she operated under the same roof and that she was doing so without the consent of the families um, and then in turn giving those families fake cremains instead of the ashes of their loved one. Megan Hess became the owner of Sunset Mesa Funeral Home in 2011. Her mother, Shirley Koch, helped retrieve and prepare bodies and her father, Alan Koch, ran the crematory. Megan Hess also owned a business called Donor Services, which she ran from inside her funeral home. She told a reporter that it was an important public service. She said, quote, it's for the good of the world, and I like to help people. What type of services did they provide? Well, Sunset Mesa provided um, burial services and cremation services, but through donor services, they allowed customers to donate parts of their body to research or science. Um, when Reuters initially investigated Sunset Mesa in 2017 and even earlier than that, they found that it was the only business in the country that they could find that had both of those services under one roof. Megan Hess's donor services business was perfectly legal, in theory. There's no federal law that prohibits so-called body brokering, as long as the body is to be used for research or education. This is different from donating organs for transplant, which is highly, highly regulated. You can't sell organs for transplant. For example, you can't sell a kidney to someone who needs it, Regulations strictly forbid it. You can, however, sell a head to a dental conference or torso to a surgical training company. This is what Megan Hess was doing, and it's hardly regulated at all. These bodies and limbs that are used for research, for testing surgical tools, for uh, medical classes, including classes at dental schools and plastic surgery schools, that's a pretty uh, under-the-radar business. Sometimes the bodies are used for what's called plastination, which is when plastics are used to preserve a body. You may have seen a plastinated body in a museum. The exhibition Body Worlds debuted in Tokyo in 1995 and has been touring the world ever since. And now, there are similar exhibitions all over. Legal scholars have suggested that more oversight of non-transplant donation is necessary. In the United States, legislators have proposed a federal registration and tracking system. But efforts to improve transparency assume that the body broker will tell the truth. Megan Hess is accused of misleading her clients, 
going against their wishes, and brokering deals without consent. She was allegedly selling bodies that their families thought would be cremated and given back to them. Reuters reported on Megan Hess's business in 2018 and interviewed a former Sunset Mesa employee named Jennifer Henderson. Henderson told Reuters that Megan Hess would brag about how lucrative selling bodies was. In one month, she claimed she made about $40,000. According to a donor services price list from 2013, a human foot sold for $125, a knee was $250, and a pelvis with upper legs cost $1,200. Megan Hess did a lot of business by email using her Hotmail address. She claimed she had a PhD in mortuary science, which is a degree that doesn't exist. Another former employee told Reuters that Megan's mother, Shirley Koch, would pull teeth from corpses to extract gold fillings. The employee said that Shirley showed off her collection and commented that she'd already sold enough gold to take the whole family to Disneyland. We reached out to Megan Hess and her family. They didn't respond to our request for an interview. So how would it work? I mean, you'd bring your loved one's body in to be cremated, I guess. And mm-hmm. how would donation come about? What, what, what were some of the scenarios? It seemed like the pattern usually went like this. Elena Saavedra Buckley. You would come in with your loved one um, looking for a cremation. And in some cases, Megan Hess would say that if you agreed to donate an organ, whether it was your loved one's bladder, their eyes, their skin, the cremation would be discounted or even free in some cases, as um, happened to Debbie. But in other cases, people never agreed to donate at all. And they would leave thinking that the cremation was going to go as planned. And when they received their ashes, which for some people happened mysteriously late or there were some problems, in other cases it went completely fine, um, they would think that everything went, went well. And it wasn't until months or in some cases years later that they got a phone call from an FBI victim specialist and were told that they might want to bring, bring those cremains into their outpost. Which was exactly what had happened to Debbie Shum. When she met with Special Agent John Bush, he told her that whatever was in the small container Megan Hess had given her, it was not Laura's ashes. He didn't know exactly where Laura's body was, but he could tell Debbie what time Laura's body had been sold and what her donor number was. Then, Debbie says Agent Bush asked her if she had heard of something called plastination. He said he couldn't say much more because the investigation was ongoing. The FBI wasn't yet sure about the scope of the case. As people in the area heard about the scandal, they wanted to know if they'd been affected. And the FBI only analyzed X number of cases. Um, They realized 
that there were going to be tens, if not hundreds, of families who wished their cremains tested. Melissa Connor is the director of the Forensic Investigation Research Station at Colorado Mesa University. And so they reached out to see if we would be willing to do some of the cases that were not going to be part of the court case, that were actually not part of the investigation. Melissa Connor and her team tested 128 samples of remains returned to families from Sunset Mesa Funeral Home. Families were wondering if they had ashes at all, or things that resembled ash, like unmixed concrete, grout, or even cat litter. But when Melissa Connor's team analyzed the samples, they did find bone. And of course, they had questions about whether just because they had been returned bone, was it still their decedent? And that is beyond the science that we have today to to try and get DNA out of commercially cremated remains. So it could have been anyone's bones? Could have been anything's bones. It could be dog bones. Exactly. We'll be right back. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. When did you first realize something was wrong? Um, almost immediately. Like, I knew something wasn't right with the size of container I was given. I just remember thinking, that's some, something's not right. This is Danielle McCarthy. Her husband, David McCarthy, died from a heart attack in June of 2017. David was a veteran. His stated wish was to donate some of his organs to medical research, and then to be cremated and interred at Fort Logan National Cemetery, 
just outside Denver. The morning David died, Danielle called Sunset Mesa Funeral Home. Megan Hess came to collect David's body. Danielle signed paperwork consenting to donate her husband's organs to medical research through donor services. Unfortunately, at that time, being very naive and very ignorant of what that term medical research means in this context, um, that's so ambiguous and so not clearly defined that I regret, honestly, having signed that piece of paper and allowing her to do that because that would ultimately lead to her selling him without my consent. When she went to pick up her husband's ashes, she says they came in a container the size of a box your cell phone would come in. She took it home and put it on her desk. And would just look at it and just go, okay, that's David, like, that's my husband. But there was always just something in the back of my head that just kind of said, mm, something's not right. But I couldn't have told you what it was at the time. I just had an inkling that something wasn't right. And then she got a call from the FBI. It was John Bush, the same agent Debbie had spoken to. And he asked me, he goes, if I was able to get the majority of David's body parts, plural, back, uh, would you want them? According to Danielle, the FBI told her that they had found David's body in Detroit and that they'd found it through a Chicago company called the InnoVed Institute. Danielle looked at InnoVed's website. It said they provided medical education and training. They specialize in something called lab in a box. And the website says they can, quote, supply all your equipment and material needs as much as you need when you need it, where you need it. Danielle says that the FBI told her that after their investigation is over, they'll make sure that David's body is returned to her. We have closure. We know David's body is safe. We know where David's body is at. And while we don't have a time frame necessarily of when we'll be receiving his body back um, properly cremated and then being able to inter him, um, there is already a sense of closure in this because I know he's safe. Colorado turns out to probably be one of the states where if you wanted to um, operate a funeral home that sold bodies, it might be the easiest place to do it. It's uh, one, it's the only state that doesn't license its funeral home and crematorium operators. And until after the Sunset Mesa case, there was absolutely no regulations about body brokering and especially no regulations about people who wanted to operate a funeral home alongside a donor service or a body brokering operation. In February of 2018, Colorado's Department of Regulatory Agencies, also known as DORA, filed a complaint against Megan Hess. Megan Hess, in response to that complaint, denied everything. One quote that I really remember from that response is that you don't become the number one funeral home in town by doing a bad job. Um, But after she responded, DORA went ahead and asked her to surrender her business license, and she complied, and the business shut down. 
in May of 2018, the governor of Colorado signed the state's first law regulating certain elements of the body brokering industry, making it illegal to own more than 10% of interest in a funeral home if you also own interest in a body brokering company. Body brokers now have to be licensed with the state and keep better records of what they're transporting. The FBI wouldn't speak with us about Sunset Mesa on the record, except to say that the investigation is active and ongoing. Debbie Shum, whose friend Laura Johnson has not yet been found, is following that investigation closely. She now runs a Facebook group called Sunset Mesa Victims Group. There are more than 300 members. They've had meetups. Debbie says it's been the silver lining of the whole experience, connecting with other people. They share information about how to search for their missing loved ones. One way people search is to look through medical supply catalogs. These companies have catalogs online where you can look at pictures of the plastinated bodies that are for sale. And and I do know that some people found their dad in one of those catalogs. I couldn't believe it. Can you imagine? They found their dad in one of those catalogs. So I began to look through all of the catalogs. Maybe I'll find Laura. I, When I think about Laura, instead of just thinking I miss my friend, I think, where is her body? See, people ask me that. What do I have to make me think of my friend Laura? But everything makes me think of Sunset Mesa. They're inextricably entwined now, and I cannot think about one without thinking about the other. I think what a lot of the alleged victims are trying to do is to figure out how to integrate this uncertainty into their life. Um, That's something Debbie and I have talked about, the, the sense of being certain that there will be more uncertainty and living with these kind of two worlds of grief, one that she's trying to preserve that's just for her friend Laura, and then one that is messier and attached to all the questions that the Sunset Mesa case brings up. I really, really miss my friend, and this wrecks that. first aired this episode in January of 2020. In March of 2020, Megan Hess and Shirley Koch were arrested and both charged with six counts of mail fraud and three counts of illegal transportation of hazardous materials. Authorities believe that they stole the bodies or body parts of over 500 victims. This past July, Megan Hess and Shirley Koch agreed to a plea deal in which they'd each plead guilty to one count of mail fraud in return for the remaining charges being dropped. At her plea hearing, Megan Hess said, The families believe I went beyond the scope of the consent. She said she was taking responsibility and trying to make an effort to make it right. Megan Hess and Shirley Koch's sentencing took place earlier this month, on January 3rd. Debbie Shum, 
who now goes by her maiden name, Debbie Schultz, told us in a message that the hearing lasted nine hours. She and 25 others gave victim impact statements. Debbie told the judge, via video call, This is not ever going to be repaired. Danielle McCarthy was there in the courtroom. Surreal is one of the, the, the feelings that kept happening all day. Kind of had to keep reminding myself where I was, what I was doing, and why we were here. Um, difficult, difficult at best to sit in a room knowing that these two individuals dismembered my husband. Emotional, just from the standpoint of my own experience, but then also being witness and hearing other victims share their stories. So the emotions are still extremely high. They're still extremely confusing. They're still extremely overwhelming. Judge Christina Arguello told the court it was the most emotionally draining case she'd ever handled and that the nature of the crime put her in uncharted waters. She said the sentencing guidelines for mail fraud didn't address the moral and ethical violations and, quote, at face value, this is a financial crime, a mail fraud case. Though it didn't financially ruin anyone, it caused great emotional trauma. And then she also stated that there is no case law out there for this particular type of case. Um, This is a precedent-setting case in that aspect. Judge Arguello talked about her own experience with the death of a loved one when her husband of 45 years died. And she talked about the grief that followed. She asked for a moment of silence in honor of the deceased. She then sentenced Megan Hess to 20 years in prison, the maximum sentence for mail fraud. She sentenced Shirley Koch to 15 years. When this, when the sentencing decision was given, there were sobs and hugging and even laughing in the court. Elena Saavedra Buckley. These victims had been waiting for a really long time and had been asking for the maximum sentence to be brought down on Megan and Shirley. And I think as satisfying as this can be, um, it was for those families. Judge Christine Arguello asked if Megan Hess wanted to say anything. She shook her head. Shirley Koch did address the court and said, I acknowledge my guilt and take responsibility for my actions. I am very sorry for the harm I caused you and your families. Debbie told us the sentencing was a bittersweet relief. Since we last spoke, she's learned that her friend Laura's body also ended up at Innoved, the same place Danielle McCarthy's husband was found. Debbie says it's unclear if Laura's body is still there or not. I know that's something that makes this tough and that probably prevents there from being full closure for the victims at any point in the future is that a lot of these bodies, you know, over 500 corpses were involved in this case, and a lot of them are not going to be recovered um, or really ever determined um, in terms of their final destination once they were sold by Sunset Mesa to institutions which much of the time didn't understand that they were getting 
bodies that had been sold without consent, um, they kind of fell into a black hole. And I think the families, while there may be some catharsis in seeing Megan and Shirley go to prison, are not going to be able to recover their loved ones' bodies and, you know, get them cremated as they were meant to. They'll just have to live with the fact that they're floating somewhere in the world, um, undetermined. Danielle McCarthy had been told her husband's body would be returned to her eventually, once the FBI had completed their investigation. She says about a month ago, she finally got word that they're beginning the process of sending David home. created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Katie Bishop is our supervising producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson, Jackie Sajiko, Libby Foster, Lily Clark, Lena Sillison, and Megan Kinane. Our technical director is Rob Byers. Engineering by Russ Henry. Julian Alexander makes original illustrations for each episode of Criminal. You can see them at thisiscriminal.com. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Criminal Show and Instagram at Criminal underscore Podcast. And we're also on YouTube, where you can go back and take a listen to some of our favorite past episodes. That's at youtube.com slash criminal podcast. Criminal is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal.